Amen. <clears throat> I'm reading through the Bible this year in the New Living Translation. It's something that I've never personally done before, and it has been personally enriching for me. Um, and one of my readings from the Psalms, my readings are mixed in with the Psalms throughout the year. Uh, Psalm 122, one was this week, which said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let me tell you, the highlight of my week is coming to worship God with each of you. And I thank you so much for being a part of this time of gathering before our Lord. I would invite you to take your copy of our Lord's Word today and turn to Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, and we will also look in verses 15 through 21. Technically, this is not a part of the series that we've been in. I was going to do a, another message, not a part of Abraham's life, because we were going to break for Labor Day, but seemingly kind of when you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. When you're in the life of Abraham, why not just stick there? And there is so much more to say about Abraham than just the eight weeks that we have dedicated to looking at his life. So we will continue next week with our uh, Grow Group lessons with Abraham and as we continue in his life going forward as we also talk about the mark of faith. But today we want to look at Abraham's life again. This morning's message is titled, God's Will, My Mess, and the Collision. God's Will, My Mess, and the Collision. Let's talk about the main statement, which is, our lives always collide with God's plans. Our lives always collide with God's plans. Let's pick up together in chapter 17 and verse 1. Before I start reading, let me remind you of where we are in Abram's life at this point. His name is still Abram at this point, and Abram has gone to a place where he believed that God was leading, even though he is yet to possess it. He has gone and left his family's land in Haran, Haran, and they have come down into the Canaan land. They didn't stay there long because of a famine. He journeyed on into Egypt, where there, you remember, he lied about his wife being his sister. He ended up conning Pharaoh, and plagues fell on Egypt because of Abraham's deceit, and because of that, Abraham was shooed away by Pharaoh, and Abraham left Egypt very wealthy. From there, he and his nephew Lot have become very prosperous, but this Canaan land that's supposed to support Abraham and all of his descendants, apparently at this moment is not even able to support Abram and his own one and only nephew. So they must part ways. And you remember that Abram kept peace by saying, Lot, you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And he kept peace in the family. And God, as a commendation of Abraham's faith, of just trusting that it's going to be okay, says, listen, I'm going to bless you and make your name great. Such a wonderful highlight, a win for faith, right? But then comes chapter 16, where Sarah says, listen, it's been a while. If we're going to have a baby, we're going to have to pursue other means. And she presents Hagar to Abram, and then they conceive a child, and then it causes drama because then Sarah despises her husband as well as her handmaid, and then the handmaid gets uppity. It's, it's just, it's all kinds of, of mess. 
And anyway, Genesis chapter 16 is one of those things that we look back and say, that's kind of a low point. Like nobody really plans to bring that kind of drama into their marriage, that kind of drama into their life. And lo and behold, a child was born in the middle of the process. You know, it just sounds just like 2023, right? But um, here we come to Genesis 17. Genesis 17. And we get to talk once again. If Genesis 16 was talking about taking the plan into your own hands, Genesis 17 is reminding us that none of us can do any such thing. It's always his plan. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. So let me read it to you this morning. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. In Hebrew, you know it as El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, by the way, Abram means exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, which means father of a multitude. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I want you to look over in verse number 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. By the way, Sarai, Sarah means princess. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Now, keep in mind, remember, Sarah... At this point, is 89 years old, and she is barren. Now, listen to what Abram does. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah, 
shall bear to you at this time next year. So this morning, God's will, my mess, and the collision. Our lives always collide with God's plans. Most followers of God do not intentionally set out to make a mess of their lives. I know if you're anything like me, there have been certain moments in your life where you have said, how did it come to this? I did not ever think this would happen. I thought everything was fine. And now, look where I am. It seems like I have made a mess of my whole life. Even if I haven't messed up every decision of my life, I've messed up enough of it that all of my decisions are now tainted by a handful of bad things and now this shadow hangs over me. You could easily look at Abraham's life and we could focus on his victories, but we could easily look at Abraham's life and say, Abraham, by looking at his failures, what are you doing? What are you doing? You see, most followers of God do not intentionally set out to make a mess of their lives. Friends, no one is praying, Lord, help me complicate my life today. Nobody gets up and prays that in the morning. No, we pray the prayer of Jabez. And this is a good one to pray. Perhaps you know this one. This comes to the New Living Translation, 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, he was the one, this is Jabez, he was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory, be with me in all that I do, and keep me from all trouble and pain, and God granted him his request. What a wonderful prayer to pray. At night when we lay down with our children, we, we pray, I pray the ironic blessing over them. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Just as I say that blessing over you each week, and apparently it's sticking because as we were escorting Ainsley onto the bus, we all go to the end of the driveway just to kind of do the East Tennessee thing and wave them goodbye. And uh, anyway, Ainsley was loading the bus and Peter was out there and she was standing there about to get on the bus. And he reaches up and he grabs her like this and says, Lord bless you, keep her, make your face stand upon you, be gracious to you, Lord, have this count on you, give you peace. Amen. Jesus' name. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I said, Andrea, something's sticking. Something is sticking. No, we pray, God bless them and keep them. We pray, Lord, um, Lord, lead, guide, and direct their lives. Lord, protect them from harm, disease, accidents, heartaches. We pray all of those appropriate things. We don't ever pray the opposite of the prayer of Jabez, which is this. This is the not prayer of Jabez. Does anybody ever pray this for their life? Lord, would you curse me and diminish my resources? Please leave me alone and leave me stranded in all my pursuits to be sure to, and be sure to double my trouble and increase my pain. Has anybody prayed that one lately? No, we don't pray that kind of prayer. Nobody wants that. We pray, God, see me, care about me, take care of me, bless me, love me. So we need to understand that when the complications come, the complications come because they're allowed for a reason that I don't fully understand. But most messes we create are in pursuit of good apart from God. This is the original mess. The woman saw that the fruit on the tree was good and it was desirable for wisdom. Most of the messes in our lives when they happen, it's pursuing a good apart from God. And typically, 
We have no idea it's apart from God when we're pursuing it. That's what it means to be deceived. And most of us don't intentionally set out to complicate our lives. But because of the pursuit of a goodness that happens to be apart from God, we get deceived in the moment and we give ourselves into whatever it is. Hey, you know what? Let's just go ahead and have a kid by Hagar. Makes a lot of sense. Let's just run with this play. What is that? It's the pursuit of a good apart from God. Most messages we, most messes we create are in pursuit of good apart from God. Also, God is the most understanding person in the universe. He knows our weaknesses, and he knows our longings, too. If Genesis 17 doesn't say anything else to you, right after a major blunder, a major, major blunder of coming up with a baby through Hagar, God says to Abram, what? Walk before me and be blameless. He says, Abram, it's time that I make good on my promises to you. We don't think like that at all, do we? We would think after a major blunder like Genesis 16, Genesis 17 would be heavy discipline and destruction. But that's not the way God works. Turns out that God is the most understanding person in the universe. By the way, one of the most horrific sins in the Old Testament. In fact, Jews will tell you to this day that one-twentieth of all pain experienced in the world is because of the worship of the golden calf. And I don't know where they get that percentage. But anyway, but all of the sins and, and the pain experienced in the world is because of the sin committed of the golden calf in Exodus 32. And do you remember who led the charge in that one? Aaron, the high priest. He fashioned it. He led the services to take place in front of it. Now, we would say after that, well, clearly Aaron just needs to be hauled off. He can't be used of God anymore. What a waste. What, how a man has thrown his life and is calling away. He just needs to be pushed to the side. But amazingly, God is gracious. Do you know when Aaron gives his lame excuses to Moses because of the golden calf? Do you know the next time we hear Aaron speak in the Bible? Is number six. When Aaron says, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make, your face, make his face shine upon you. Wait a second. You want this guy speaking the blessing over Israel? What does that say about Aaron? No! What does it say about God? That God can take somebody so broken and use him for such a noble purpose. Listen to Psalm 103, 13 through 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and remembers that we're dust. Genesis 16, there's a failure of Abraham. But Genesis 17, we're reminded that God looks at Abraham and he looks at his folly and says, I understand. I understand. He remembers that we're dust. And we're reminded even pushing to the New Testament. To, if you want to really talk about empathizing with pain, we don't look at Abraham and God. We look at Jesus and all of us. And that is Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. It says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and 
find grace to help in time of need. So here's what it's saying. Jesus, the ultimate high priest, was totally without sin, yet he stands to minister grace to you and me. Instead of standing as a judge over his people, he stands as the priest to his children that would come to him. God is so gracious. He is so kind. This is why you can look at Genesis 17, and even though you've got the blunder of Genesis 16, Genesis 17 is here saying, God saying, listen, Abram, I've got good things in store. I'm going to change your name because it's a new day. God is so kind. Also, God's calling action to save us and use us is rooted in a great truth and a response. God's calling in action to save us and use us is rooted in a great truth and a response. The first is the great truth that God is everything he claims to be. Notice he says here in Genesis 17 verse number 1 that I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I am everything that I claim to be. But also, here's the response, Abram. The response that God is who he is, Abram's responsibility is to believe that it's so. Friends, God is kind. He is gracious. He is loving. He is restorative. He is all of these things. He stands ready to forgive. His arms are open wide. Nailed, scarred hands crucified for you and me, says, come to me, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, I'll take care of it, I'll save you, I'll use you, I'll bless you, but you gotta come. You gotta come. It's only yours if you reach out and take it. If not, we're just talking about a blessing others have, but it's passing over you, and it's passing over you, not because he doesn't want you to have it, it's passing over you because you won't reach out and take it. The response is believing God is everything he claims to be. And the merger of truth and response is faith. When I realize that God is everything he claims to be and has done all these things for me that he claims to be true, and when I believe that, that creates faith inside of me, saving faith. And it's not what I have done. It's what God has done inside of me because believing what God has done for me is not a work. The work was accomplished when God did the work. The merging of truth and response is called faith. And friends, when this takes place, just like in Abraham, when you finally get to the place where you realize I'm not going to be defined by my past, I'm not going to be defined by what other people think about me, I'm not going to be defined of even what I think about myself, I'm going to be who God says I am. Friends, faith changes who I am. Abram and Sarai were not renamed based on what they'd been, where they'd been, or who they'd been with, or where they were presently. God renamed them based on who they would be. Nobody loves like Jesus. Nobody blesses like Jesus because Jesus doesn't give us what we deserve he gives us what only he deserves and he gives it to us before we could ever possibly see it the third thing is this is that even great heroes of the faith are a mixed bag this is why I love looking at Abram and Sarah you can't get I mean these are the heavy hitters in the Bible right Abram and Sarah 
or Abraham and Sarah. Even great heroes of the faith are a mixed bag. We are filled with faith and doubts. I love reading the story uh, here in Genesis 17 when God, after he changes Abram's name, and Abram believes God and all these wonderful things, and then he says, and Abram, Sarah's going to have a baby. And you know what Abram, Abraham does? He laughs. Now, we often say, well, Sarah was the one who laughed only after her husband did. It was just as unbelievable to Abraham that Sarah could conceive as it would be to Sarah. When I look at the life of these heroes of the faith, we realize that they were filled with faith and doubts, just like you and me. This is why I love the verse in Mark 24. If you don't know this verse, it needs to be marked in your Bible. It's when the father of the son that was having a, a, a demon possession when Jesus asks him if he could believes that he could be made whole, it says immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh, that's a good prayer. When you know what needs to be and you're like, God, I believe, but ooh, help my unbelief. We're reminded of Abram and Sarah's life that, hey, listen, even great heroes of the faith are a mixed bag of faith and doubt. Also, we're filled with obedient faithfulness and disobedient failure. I'm not going to spend much time here, but you look at Abram and Sarah's life. It depends on what chapter you read, right? Depending on what chapter you read, you're either like, yay, Abraham, or oh, Abraham, or yay, Sarah, or Sarah, what were you thinking? Depending on what chapter you read, we are filled with obedient faithfulness and disobedient failure. This is the story of all of us. This is why I believe the Bible is true, and this is why I have a, such a hard time with many, not all, many modern Christian biographies. Because modern Christian biographies, and bless them, and they are inspiration, but nobody, when you read those modern Christian biographies, read, you rarely read about their sin, their doubt, their hurt, their depression, and even great heroes of the faith. Do you know Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century, that would be the 1800s, sometimes would get so depressed he couldn't get out of bed. John Wesley, the father of the modern Methodism, uh, one of the great men. God, no telling how many people are in heaven because of John Wesley today, but apparently he had a terrible home life. His wife couldn't stand him, and on one particular occasion, chased him down the street with a lamplighter. And then when he died, he died impoverished, separated from his family, and estranged from them. Does that make John Wesley a bad man? No, that makes John Wesley a man. That's why you look at this story, and I'm reminded that God uses people that are a mixed bag. We're filled with obedient faithfulness and disobedient failure. Also, we are filled with following God's will and doing our own thing. I used to have this uh, thought of God's will was like starting here and then going to here. And it's just a straight line that one step higher, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, all of that. And then my experience has been this, though, somewhere way over here. And then, okay, now we're, we're eventually, we're, God's going to finish the work he starts, right? I'm reminded in Romans 7, 18 through 20, that even Paul, St. Paul, that is, he said something that I don't think I would have say out loud as a preacher, but he said it. He says, for I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, 
but I have no ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep doing. By the way, these are present tense verbs. He's talking about his life in the moment. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells within me. Could you imagine telling that to a pastor search committee? Tell us about your life, Matt. Well, just to be honest, I don't really do what I'm supposed to do. I don't really do what I'm supposed to do, and frankly, I feel out of control when I'm doing what I'm not supposed to do, and I feel I'm a really complicated, complex man. I say, oh, just the one for us. <laughs> Paul says another one, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Not I was, but I am. I don't know if I'd have said that out loud, but he does. And he says, listen, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. When I read the story of Abram and Sarah, I am reminded that even great heroes of the faith are a mixed bag, which brings me to this final thing. When we talk about when God's will collides with our mess, the collision always creates a gracious collapse, and it's a good thing. This may be one of the most beautiful stories to date in the scripture of restoration in Genesis 17. Because I'm going to give you several things I'm going to talk about at first. I want to give you these things. I'm going to talk about it. God brings beauty out of ugly. Second, he brings ordered out of messy. Third, he brings goodness out of sorrow. And he brings no regrets out of regret. I'm going to read the next one in just a second, but I want to explain this for just a second. I want you to think about the story. Beauty out of ugly, ordered out of messy, goodness out of sorrow, no regrets out of regret. I want you to put yourself in this story. Here is Abraham, and God has just told him, listen, Sarah is going to have a son. And notice what Abram says to her. Excuse me, to, to God. Look at verse 18. Right after he laughs, right after he says, I can't believe my wife is going to have a son. What does he say? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. What? God is going to do this great thing. Now, we know what Ishmael is, right? Ishmael was that uh, thing that happened that is now a beating heartbeat and a life in Abraham's house. But this like concoction of a plan to do things in their own way. Ishmael is the like, if there ever are the works of a flesh to accomplish the will of God, it's Genesis 16, right? And then God says, he, it comes to Abraham and says, listen, I'm going to do my will in your life and I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to call him Isaac. We're going to get that in the next chapter, but I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. And what's the first thing that Abraham does? He says, why can't you use Ishmael? <laughs> Isn't this so human? Do you realize who God is using here? He is using a man that even after God says, this is what you're going to do that's going to glorify me, Abraham says, well, why can't we do it my way still? 
wouldn't it? Israel, I already got a son. We've already handled this, God. You, you didn't even have to stress yourself over this one. And here's the thing. Oh, gosh. I just love God. I just love him. Listen, here's what God does here. He doesn't say, Abram, son, that was clearly not my will. What's wrong with you? You need to separate yourself from that fleshly way of thinking. Listen, that was wrong. You were wrong. It's terrible. Ishmael was an accident. He's not even supposed to be here. That's not what God says. Ishmael was not in the plan of God and at the same time in the plan of God because listen to what God says. In verse 19, God says, no. (laughs) I love that. Abraham, God, can we do it my way? And God graciously says, no. But then he keeps talking. Verse 19, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. God's so gracious, I can hardly stand it. God, can't you do it my way? No, we're going to do it my way. Well, God, what about the mess I made? Don't worry, I'm going to fix that too. I'm going to bless Ishmael. So Ishmael is not an accident. God even takes that mess and makes beauty out of ugly, ordered out of messy, goodness out of sorrow, and no regrets out of regret. Which brings me to the final thing. You've heard me say this before. God brings, this was the plan all along, out of. What were you thinking? I opened this message by saying, have you been to that place? What was I thinking? What, how did this happen? Why could I have been so blind? Could I not see the road signs, everybody else? Why didn't I listen to my parents? Why didn't I listen to my friends? Why didn't I do all this stuff? But when God gets through working with what were I, was I thinking, that is transformed into, wow, God, this was maybe your plan all along. Genesis 45, 1 through 5, is about Joseph's life. You know the story. He was sold into slavery, abused by his brothers, all these things. It says later when he reconnects with them, there's something that takes place. It says, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Brothers, brothers could not answer him and they were dismayed at his presence. Remember, these are the people that sold him into slavery, tried to kill him. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near me, please. And they came near him. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And now listen to this line. Now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. You know what that is? That's God bringing, what were you thinking? He is bringing 
out of what were you thinking to uh, this was my plan all along. Joseph has reached a point where he can look at even the destruction and say, yeah, you don't have to be mad at yourself about all that foolishness. God was in it for good. Now, you may not be there today. I may not be there today. But Joseph was there on that day. And you'll get there one day. And when I read the story of these people, our lives always collide with God's plans. I want to remind all of you today, God always wins. And that is your good. I'm going to ask my brothers to come forward today as we partake of the Lord's table together. As they are making your, their way forward, I'm going to invite each of you here as we begin this time at the Lord's table to begin thinking about today's message. Typically when we talk about a subject like this, and brothers, as you get down here, you can go ahead and prepare the table. Uh, when we think about things like this, we immediately start to think about how our life has missed it. And I want you to be reminded today from this story that that's true of you, it's true of me, but it's not true of Jesus. And the gospel is, is his perfect life has been given to you. So as they are preparing this table, let's take a moment to examine our hearts. Will you bow your heads as they are preparing the table right where you are? Examine your heart. First of all, ask yourself, am I a Christian? Do I have a personal relationship with God? And then secondly, is that, Lord, what's the status of my relationship right now? If you belong to him, you're his. But how are you and God doing right now in this moment? If there's anything in between you and God, a sin, a regret, a doubt fear, just take this moment and confess it before God today and say, Lord, I know this is not what you want for me. I give it to you and confess it. Lord, please cleanse me and forgive me that I might be ready to take from this table. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.